In this week's episode, I focus on stopping violence against trans people by talking about the specific case of Jennifer Laud, the transgender woman who was murdered by a U.S. Marine in the Philippines, and why she and her family never received justice. And Sierra shines light on how the violence against trans people happens in places you least expect. This is the 65th episode of the Cross Yas podcast, and we get a little more serious in this episode. So prepare yourselves. You guys ready for it? Yas! Yas, yas, yas. Yas, 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 yas. Cross Yas podcast, which is Elm here so. Yas! Yas! Yas, 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 yas. Yas, yas, yas. Welcome to the Cross Yas podcast, the podcast that still says yas to everything related to cross-dressing, sexuality, and gender. My name is Giselle Mirasol, cross-dresser, nurse, LGBTQ advocate, and most importantly, host of this wonderful, welcoming, and inclusive podcast, The Cross Yas Podcast. If you're looking for more stuff about the podcast, check out the website www.crossyaspodcast.com and check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash crossyas for bonus prints, bonus episodes, and even hear my fiance Kirsten sing songs that will help you the cross yas listener feel empowered and lastly if you have a story cross-dressing sexuality and or gender related and you're wondering damn can i talk to someone about this well you know my nosy ass and you know the podcast the answer to your question is allowed freaking yes reach out to me hit me up and talk to me email the podcast giselle at cross you can tweet me at CrossYas or DM me on Instagram at CrossYasPodcast. Happy October again, everyone. It's LGBTQ History Month, and also this past October 11th was National Coming Out Day. Which are both ways to show awareness and support for our LGBTQ brethren. So happy to everyone who's out, and if you're not out yet, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? Seriously, you don't need a national coming out day to come out. If you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, cross-dresser, transgender, or whatever, be open about it. I'm here. I can be a friend if you need. You got a friend in me. And also, it's October, which means it's Filipino Heritage Month. Filipino, Filipino, Filipino. So this month, we'll have a little bit of a Filipino focus, but not by much. But my curious conversation that'll be up next Saturday, October 24th, will be with Maria, a cross-dresser from New York who happens to just be Filipino also. It's a two-parter, but the second part will be up on October 31st, Halloween. Oh. So stay tuned for that. But for this week, I want to shed light on the tragic case of Jennifer Laud. Jennifer Laud was a Filipino transgender woman who was murdered by U.S. Marine Joseph Pemberton. This happened almost to the day, six years ago, on October 11, 2014, in the Philippines in Olongapo City. In this episode, I'll give you details about the case, then tell you about the aftermath. Even how the case made headlines recently as Pemberton was released and pardoned last month by the Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte. And lastly, stay tuned till the end of the episode where you'll hear Sierra says as she talks more about violence against transgender women in places you least suspect. But it's another episode that might be a little topical, but it's definitely an episode you should hear. This is episode 65, so enjoy the episode, guys. So the case of Jennifer Laud begins in 2014, as for my research on CNN Philippines, 
and Meredith Talusan, a reporter from Vice, and me just scouring the internet for more information. Jennifer Laud was born Jeffrey Laud in Ilongapo City, Philippines on November 7, 1987. She worked at hair salons and did what she could to provide for her family. In 2014, she was engaged to marry Mark Susselbeck, a German national. According to Susselbeck, Jennifer had tried several times before to obtain a visa to move with Susselbeck to Germany, but she was denied twice, until October 1, 2014, when she was finally granted a German visa. Susselbeck says they had set the date for their wedding, and Jennifer even had her wedding dress ready for the occasion. On October 11, 2014, Jennifer Laud met Joseph Pemberton, a member of the United States Marine Corps, 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines of the West Pacific Express. They met at Ambiance Disco on Magsaysay Drive in Alongapo City while having a drink with her friend Mark Clarence Galviro, aka Barbie. Pemberton was also with his friends Bennett Dahl, Daniel Polito, and Jaron Rose. According to Meredith Talusan, the reporter from Vice who interviewed Jennifer's friends like Barbie and others who knew Jennifer Laud, and it's Talusan who was also featured on the documentary Call Her Ganda, which follows the case of Jennifer Laud. Talusan tells the story of what happened that night on the Vice article entitled, How the Killing of a Trans-Filipina Woman Ignited an International Incident. Talusan starts by saying sex workers known as Pocahontases, which was a riff on Pokpok, a Tagalog term for slut, which also alludes to the former colonizers who often patronized them. The most dogged of these women, those who quickly latch onto the arms of men pouring off the ships, are usually transgender, but the foreign soldiers rarely learn that. Jennifer was out that night with a group of her trans sex worker friends for the first time in months since becoming engaged to her German boyfriend, Mark Susselbeck. And though Jennifer didn't need the money the way she used to, since Susselbeck sent her a regular allowance, the thrill of competition was part of what it meant to hang out with her friends. Within just a few minutes of meeting, Pemberton and Jennifer left for the Selzon Lodge, a motel across the street, accompanied by Laud's friend, Barbie. She never went with a guy alone, Barbie said. She always asked one of us to come with her, so we knew where she was. At the motel, Pemberton and Jennifer booked some time in room one, right next to the reception desk. Barbie stayed with a couple of friends for a minute to help negotiate a rate. Jennifer suggested 5,000 pesos, but Pemberton only wanted to pay 1,000, which is about 25 US dollars. Jennifer, nervous that Pemberton might discover the girls were trans because Barbie didn't have implants yet, quickly agreed to the lower rate and rushed her friend out of the room. Please safe, my friend, Barbie told Pemberton in stilted English as she left. On her way downstairs, Barbie met a man checked into room five, two floors above Jennifer. She flirted with him and asked him whether she wanted her to join him for an hour or so. He knew he'd expected to pay. Men in Alongapo assume as much when a girl is forward on a Saturday night. They made an arrangement and went back to his room, where she took off her clothes except for her tight underwear. Then she turned off the light. About 30 minutes after the group had arrived at the motel, Pemberton casually walked out of his room alone, leaving the door slightly ajar behind him. He seemed unperturbed and he passed the front desk and walked down the steps into the night. His curfew was rapidly approaching and he and his shipmates needed to return together. Dahl, Polito, and Rose were frantically looking for him, but to no avail. Polito eventually made the call to take a cab back to the ship without Pemberton. They arrived at 12.10 a.m. and the supervising officer, Corporal Christopher Miller, chewed them out for being late. 
Miller got even angrier when he saw that Pemberton wasn't with them. Pemberton showed up in the middle of the conversation, and the soldiers explained that they were late because they were looking for one another. Miller, who would have known full well the kinds of activities the group could get into when they were off the ship, chose not to discipline them that night and dismissed them for bed. As they were about to go to sleep, Pemberton approached Rose and asked to talk to him in private. They walked over to the front of the ship, far from human ears, with only the ocean and the sky to listen. Pemberton told Rose that he had met two girls at Ambiance and gone to a motel with them. After one of them left, the girl he was with started to undress. Pemberton said that he saw It had a dick. He told Rose he got so angry that he choked It from behind. When the body stopped moving, he dragged it into the bathroom and left. At first, Rose thought he was messing around, but Pemberton assured his friend that he was serious. I think I killed a he-she, Pemberton said. At the motel, the bellboy and receptionist, Elias Galamos, waited a few minutes after Pemberton left to go clean up the room. Inside, he discovered Jennifer's limp body, wrapped in the motel's beige blanket and slumped over the toilet bowl. Not knowing whether she was dead or unconscious, Galamos went to Barbie upstairs and then ran a block and a half to the local police station. By the time Barbie cleaned herself up and came to the room, the local police had arrived followed shortly by a team from the Naval Criminal Investigation Service, NCIS, who seemed to have been informed that an American service member might be involved even before Pemberton made his confession to Rose. Shortly after midnight, police drove Jennifer's body the half-mile to St. Martin Funeral Home. Barbie texted Jennifer's middle sister, Michelle, who happened to be out with her own friends at Ambiance. Together, they went to the morgue, and Michelle tearfully identified Jennifer's body. The police conducted an autopsy before releasing the body to the family the following evening. The cause of death was ruled asphyxia by drowning in the shallow water of the toilet bowl. Pemberton was eventually charged and had several court dates. In one of the court dates, Pemberton testified in court and said this. In a closed-door direct testimony, Pemberton said he was on rest and recreation that day when he went shopping and bar hopping. At the ambiance bar in Longapo City, he met two people who introduced themselves as Barbie and Jennifer. Thinking that they were real women, he said he accepted their offer of checking in at the Celson Lodge Motel to have paid sex. With an agreement, they would be paid 1,000 pesos each, alias Barbie performed oral sex on Pemberton, then immediately left the room. After a few minutes, Jennifer did the same to Pemberton, but when he wanted more, he was surprised to find out Jennifer was also a man like himself. In his shock, he said he pushed Jennifer who fell down from the bed. This allegedly prompted Jennifer to slap him on the face. At this point, Pemberton then arm-choked Jennifer until she lost consciousness. He said he felt that he was being raped. He, he was so repulsed and so disgusted because he had, did not give his consent to allow a man to do that to him. After Jennifer lost consciousness, Pemberton then dragged her to the bathroom to try to revive her with running water. But he said the faucet and shower did not work. Pemberton's lawyers say he maintained he left Jennifer still alive and breathing and explained he did not call for help, thinking everyone in the motel were accomplices in a scheme to deceive customers into having sex with transgenders. So yeah, Pemberton said that he had pushed Jennifer off him in disgust. When Jennifer slapped him in the face so hard that his ear rang, Pemberton said he got angrier. Pemberton claimed that they started to exchange hits and punches. Then he got his arm around Jennifer's neck and they fell on the bed. When Pemberton realized Jennifer was no longer moving, he said he brought her to the shower to splash water on her. 
He said he found no running water, so he decided to drop her naked on the floor and went back to the ship. But Pemberton denied dunking her head in the toilet bowl and insisted that Jennifer was still breathing when he left. Pemberton was eventually charged in 2015 and was sentenced in 2017 to a lesser charge of homicide instead of murder. He was given 6 to 12 years depending on good behavior, and last month, the president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, gave Pemberton an absolute pardon by saying this. It's my decision to pardon. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have not treated Pemberton fairly. So, release go. So there's many things to talk about here, but let's first talk about saying, first and foremost, that talking about this case and learning more about Jennifer Laud, after actually maybe only hearing about this case like once or twice, even if it happened, I think like six years ago, it's pretty scary. Scary in that, I guess, just being a cross-dresser myself and as an American cross-dresser of Filipino descent, (laughs) this shit is fucking frightening. Like, even if you're not from the Philippines and you're a transgender person, you can't help but think, shit, will people think that I'm trying to deceive them? Which is tough, because if you're part of the transgender community around the world, and you're closeted and you're not quite out yet, stories like Jennifer make you really say to yourself, well, fuck, now I gotta remain closeted, because I don't want to die. But I would, I guess I argue the opposite. I think the more transgender people and cross-dressers and those who aren't necessarily the norm, well, by just being out and present and public, well, eventually we become the norm, right? Eventually they, meaning everyone, well, maybe they'll learn to accept us and learn to see, well, hey, you know what? Cross-dressers and transgender people really are not that different. We're all the same and we're just not trying to be deceptive. Because think about it. Forget that Jennifer Laud was being Filipino, right? At her core, Jennifer just wanted to make the most of what was given to her. She just wanted a better life, and she hoped to make that with her fiancé, Mark Susselbeck, in Germany. But to have it all taken away, just like that, by a man who was frightened at her having a penis? Well, fuck. Like, that shit is absurd. Are you fucking kidding me? But let's talk about that real quick, right? This, in what they call in legal terms, the gay panic defense, also known as homosexual panic, or as it's known in New Zealand, homosexual advance defense which I looked up, and it's defined as a legal strategy in which a defendant claims they acted in a state of violent, temporary insanity, committing assault or murder because of unwanted same-sex sexual advances. Basically, a defendant may allege to have found the same sexual advances so offensive or frightening that they were provoked into reacting, were acting in self-defense, were of diminished capacity, or were temporarily insane, and that this circumstance is exculpatory or mitigating. Holy shit, 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 shit. But you know what? That's all rooted in, that's right, homophobia or transphobia. Like, how are you so fucking frightened at the sight of another person's penis that you're ready to kill them for it? Like, really, really fucking think. Like, you have a penis, they have a penis, and if another person's penis scares you, and you're biologically male and you're born with a penis? Like, seriously, just break all the mirrors in your house. Like, break all the mirrors everywhere you see. Because seriously, guess what? If you pull your pants down and you look at yourself in the mirror, that's another penis you'll have to look at. And this idea of temporary insanity, are you fucking kidding me? You're so homophobic or transphobic that feeling another person's penis compels you to kill them. Like, he said, you're so repulsed and disgusted? Really? 
that you're so fucking disgusted that you didn't consent to letting a man do that to you? Like, really, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Give me a fucking break. First off, she's not a man. She's a woman. She's presenting as a female, so that makes her a woman. She looked like a woman. She had a name, Jennifer. I mean, Jesus, like, you were also cool with Barbie sucking you off and Jennifer sucking you off. You didn't do shit then, but when you start seeing their fucking penis, you're like, oh, fuck, this is the worst. I'm gonna kill you now. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you didn't give her consent to blow you off as a man, but you thought she was a woman. What the fuck, man? Like, seriously. Did she give you consent to kill her? You're a fucking animal if you fucking believe that shit. So let's get this straight, everyone. And for the people in the back, listen up. Feeling another person's genitalia that you're about to have sex with, even if it's not the genitalia you expect, should never give you a right to murder them. So it's absolutely batshit crazy to me for him and his legal defense to say shit like he was so repulsed and disgusted that he had to murder them. Like, get that fucking bullshit out of here. And it's even crazier to me for Pemberton to say that he acted in self-defense. Because why? She slapped him? Because why? Your dick got sucked off so hard that you fucking felt like you needed to kill this person? Like, what the fuck? In the autopsy, it showed that there were torture marks on the back of Jennifer's neck. And he's saying that he dragged her unconscious body to the bathroom. They still found her fucking torture marks on the back of her neck. Like, what the fuck? Fuck you, man! Fuck you! See, the idea of homophobia still exists. Or transphobia. It's fucking shitty. And sometimes it turns violent. Shoot, it still exists as I was like reading the comments from looking up YouTube clips for this case. Comments like, oh, well, he deserved it for tricking him. Where they're using the word he as the pronoun for Jennifer because Jennifer was born male. Or that Jennifer deserved to die for fooling this veteran. Also, can we talk about Pemberton using the word it for Jennifer? Like, Jennifer doesn't have fucking feelings or doesn't have, isn't human being. It's not male or female. It's an it. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you? But here's another case in classic idea of victim shaming. Like, seriously, these people online who are saying, well, she deserved it or he deserved it, right? Saying that Jennifer was a boy or Jennifer was male. Like, Jennifer's dead. And now you're saying she deserved to die? What the fuck? Like, she didn't deserve to die. I don't think anyone deserves to die. Especially not for this, not for lying. But let's think about this. Like, because she lies, the price to pay is her life. And yes, I know, reading the comments on YouTube and any comment section online is the absolute worst. People just say all sorts of shit online just to get that shit on there. And it's fucking annoying. But it's this same old trope and narrative that transgender people are tricking others and being deceptive. But think about that again. And... Let's say that maybe she is, right? Let's say at the worst, Jennifer is being deceptive and lying to you. Let's say theoretically you saw Jennifer when she was alive at a nightclub, right? Here is this beautiful statuesque female with gorgeous boobs, great long hair, and she's absolutely the epitome of a what a female, I don't know, model should look like, right? You approach one another and you don't have any idea she was born a male because while well, she presents as female, she sounds female, and you believe her to be female because... This is how you believe a female should look like, right? Well, let's say Jennifer goes up to you and approaches you and says, hey, did you want to do something at the local motel? And you're a horny dude and you go in there, you haven't had sex in a while, you know, you're on a ship for how many days and years or whatever, and you're horny and you're like, huh, okay, hell yeah, let's do this. So then you go back to hotel, you go back to the motel and you fool around. Uh, her friend gives you a blowjob. 
leaves, and then Jennifer gives you a blowjob, but when you ask for more, you find Jennifer to be actually a man? Okay, ask yourself this. Does she deserve to die? Does she deserve to die because you felt duped? Does a 19-year-old U.S. Marine deserve to kill a 26-year-old transgender woman based on the lie that she was born a man and still has a penis? Really? Really? If you're homophobic or you have transphobic tendencies, your answer to that will probably be, yeah, she deserves to die. She's a man and she fooled him. But if you're a decent human being who actually cares about others, your answer should be, no, she shouldn't have to die. Jennifer deserved to have lived. And it's a shame, really, though, that she didn't get the true justice she deserved. Because last month, this happened. After almost six years of detention in the Philippines, Lance Corporal Joseph Pemberton was finally released from jail and flown back to the United States. Plus, Duterte's absolute pardon of Pemberton was not well received. As it should be, right? According to a statement signed by more than 30 organizations, the statement said, President Duterte's pardon of Pemberton sends out a loud and clear message that a Filipino trans woman's life does not matter, that it is open season for discrimination and violence against transgender people, and that American soldiers will continue to get away with murder on Philippine soil. His government never served our interests nor protected our rights and lives, and today proves that only a murderer can empathize with another murderer. Now this is in reference to Duterte's war on drugs and war on criminals who use drugs. According to The Rappler, which is an online news website for the Philippines, more than 7,000 drug war-related deaths are attributed to Duterte's war on drugs. But that number is possibly underreported. I've already talked about President Rodrigo Duterte and how much that guy truly sucks, but this is yet another reason on why he does. As for Pemberton, this is what his lawyers told the news, as reported by CNN Philippines, in response to Duterte's absolute pardon. Minutes following his plane's departure, Pemberton, through his lawyer, Attorney Rowena Flores, issues a message thanking President Duterte for granting him an absolute pardon. He likewise extended his sincere sympathies to the Laude family. He said he spent much time in contemplating the many errors in his ways regarding the night of October 11, 2014. Now look, I'm all for forgiveness and giving people second chances. But consider he only served four years of a six to 12 year sentence in a US jail, which in itself is crazy for someone to commit murder. But my goodness, Jennifer did not get the justice I think that she deserved. But hey, that's just me. That's not good enough. As for more of the aftermath, in 2018, there was a documentary released about the incident entitled Call Her Ganda which was a Tribeca film selection and winner of the Los Angeles Asian Film Festival. Meredith Talusan, the reporter for Vice, and who's the source where I got most of my information from when researching Jennifer's story, is featured in this entire documentary. Talusan interviews Jennifer's friends, family, and follows the trial as it went forward. I watched it in preparation of this episode, and for those of you who have Amazon Prime, it's on Amazon now, and I highly recommend you watch it. But watching this documentary makes you really feel for Jennifer's mom, and family. I'm Filipino and watching this documentary just, I don't know, just really hit home. Because for me, family is a major part of Filipino values and maybe it's a major part of your own values. Like Jennifer was going to get married and she almost did but was murdered because, I don't know, she had genitals that Pemberton didn't agree with. And for saying that Jennifer was doing it to get money for like sex work. So what? Are you going to ridicule someone so she could provide for herself and her family because of an agreed upon payment? 
you can say Jennifer tricked him, but the end result should never be death. And for those who oppose the idea of sex work, let me ask you this question. And you should probably ask yourself this question. Is sex work bad? Like, really, is it morally bad? In my opinion, it's not. It's the oldest profession humans have, right? And if you and the other party, or parties, I'm not going to dismiss multiple groups if that's what you're into, but you come to an agreement about payment and exchangement of property or whatever in exchange for sex, right? Sex work in itself is not bad, but the real question you should ask, is sex work safe? In third world countries like the Philippines, clearly they aren't. (sighs) Clearly Jennifer died as a result of this kind of sex work. But I don't know, maybe we should come up with solutions then? How can we make sex work safer for everybody? What steps can we take to make sex workers not have to die and to survive like this? Jesus. But also, can we finally normalize transgender people and how violence should not be the answer? If Pemberton once realizing that Jennifer had male genitalia, which wasn't what she appeared to be, I think he should have just walked away. Maybe he felt duped or maybe felt wronged or whatever, but the wrong answer and the wrong thing to do was to retaliate. Look, I'm not here to really determine or legally determine whether he acted in self-defense, but Jennifer was found with torture marks on her body and her head on the toilet, and her autopsy showed she died from drowning in the toilet, which again, Pemberton denies leaving her in the toilet, but he admits to walking away and dragging her body into the toilet and splashing water on her face. I don't know. It's fucking sad. It really is, but... I guess the message I want to convey in this episode is that it is important to understand that trans people are still violently attacked and not cared for and really treated like trash sometimes, like like third-class citizens or fourth-class citizens, especially those that resort to sex work. A lot of transgender people resort to sex work, and there's limited data in the numbers of the actual amount of sex workers, but according to Meaningful Work, transgender experiences in the sex trade, roughly 13% of the transgender community reports having participated in the sex industry, according to data from the National Transgender Discrimination Survey. So that 13% might be small, but if you really think about it, it's kind of a lot. If you haven't heard of Jennifer's case until now, I don't know, ask yourself why. Yes, I know with a 24-hour news cycle and there's a risk for care fatigue and news fatigue, I know there's a lot of stuff to care about, but don't you wonder why the media doesn't cover these kinds of things? Ask yourself... If Jennifer was cisgender, or if she was white, or if she was an American citizen, would you care more? Would the media care? Hell, would she get more worldwide attention? These are all theoreticals that I like to play with in my head, and sometimes I think, damn, maybe she would have gotten more attention. I want to leave you with this. There was something that I read in that same Vice article by Talusan that said, the best thing that came out of the Jennifer Laud case has been that it has forced the country of the Philippines to confront the existence of transgender women. And it's unfortunate, right? But I think that's true. Although this case is over five years old and Pemberton gets to walk free, even only serving four years, this case has at least gotten the conversation started that transgender people might finally exist in the Filipino world. My hope is that the conversation will still continue all around the world and maybe one day we can live in a society and a world where Jennifer Laud's case will never happen again and If it does, we'll get true justice for that victim. That's all for this week, and I hope it got you guys all thinking. Stay tuned for Sierra, where she gets to talking about violence in trans communities that you least suspect. Thanks for listening, everybody. I love you all. Thanks, guys. 
And it's now time for everyone's favorite segment, Sierra Says. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Sierra Says. As I record this, we are about a month away from the 2020 Transgender Day of Remembrance. Every year, we recognize the Transgender Day of Remembrance on November 20th, and it is a day in which we, as members of the transgender community, honor and celebrate the memory of those within our community who lost their lives as a result of violence related to transphobia and prejudice against the transgender community. Sadly, as we move forward to commemorating this year's Transgender Day of Remembrance next month, we will be reflecting upon the losses of the highest number of murdered transgender people in the United States since 1999, when the Transgender Day of Remembrance was first recognized. Unfortunately and tragically, we know of at least 45 trans people who have been murdered in the United States from October 1st, 2019 to September 30th, 2020. Therefore, in this week's segment, I'd like to do two things. First of all, I'd like to speak to the importance of recognizing and condemning the ongoing epidemic of violence against transgender people and particularly trans women of color. Second, I would like to encourage you to support organizations that do two things really. First, find and support organizations that seek to create structural change and then also support those organizations that provide the individualized one-on-one support to trans people in particularly vulnerable communities. It is sadly beyond dispute that transgender women of color in particular endure violence at rates that are nearly unprecedented in other communities. And this even happens in areas that we assume to be friendly to the transgender community. We really do tend to assume that those places that are assumed to be more conventionally friendly to the LGBTQ community are also going to be those places that are safest to live and to spend time as uh, transgender individuals. And for myself personally, living in the Los Angeles area, I do feel relatively safe out in public when I am presenting as Sierra, because I know that relative to other places in the country and worldwide, Southern California, Los Angeles tend to be very accepting places for members of the LGBTQ community. However, that is not to say that the threat of violence is not present, and in particular, the threat of violence is considerable for, again, transgender women of color. There have been two high-profile hate crimes, essentially violent assaults, in public motivated by the survivors' gender identities, perpetrated in the central part of Los Angeles in the last two months alone. Fortunately, we can say that in this case, these attacks resulted in four survivors and no one losing their lives, but the fact that these women had to face that kind of violence simply for being themselves is horrifying and just gives pause to anyone thinking about what it means to be a trans person just trying to live your life. I was inspired to record this segment after hearing about an absolutely horrifying incident that took place last week in MacArthur Park in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles, which, if you're not familiar, is a very vibrant and diverse area that is particularly home to a lot of immigrants from Latin America and Central America in particular. At MacArthur Park one day last week, A group of four or five people approached Daniela Hernandez, who was simply spending some time out in public in the park and started taunting her with homophobic slurs. And shortly thereafter, that group stabbed Daniela 16 times and slit her throat. 
entirely because she was a trans woman in public. I'll say that again, just because it bears repeating. She was attacked simply for being a trans woman in a public space. There was no other motivation to the attack. Prior to being the victim of this senseless hate crime, Daniela had recently, for the first time in her several years after moving to the United States, found stable employment and was volunteering regularly with the Trans Latina Coalition, which is a nonprofit organization based in that part of Los Angeles dedicated to providing services to transgender women and men of color. And in a statement that this organization released, the Trans Latina Coalition said that Daniela Hernandez was an integral and valued volunteer with the Trans Latina Coalition in ensuring that daily meals were provided to our community each and every day. She led with love and passion to ensure that community was taken care of. Too often, the only safe spaces for transgender and gender non-conforming people are in trans-led community spaces, and the act of going outside or to the park can come with huge risks. This is why we fight for trans liberation, and liberation for transgender people can look as simple as walking outside without risk of harassment, discrimination, or violence. It's the everyday acts that the everyday person does not think twice about that many of us wish to achieve. I found that statement to be such a powerful reminder of the senselessness of the violence that so many transgender people face. And this has not been the only such attack in Los Angeles in recent months. In August, just a couple of months ago, a group of three transgender women, all of whom are actually pretty well known on Instagram, Eden the Doll, Jasleen White Rose, and Jocelyn Flawless, were attacked in Hollywood at the wrath of a vicious mob. And the attack was actually live streamed on social media by some of the attackers and onlookers. The incident was particularly horrifying because many of the bystanders, instead of intervening or seeking the help of law enforcement, instead started mocking these three women, joining in this ugly display of transphobia and violence. In an interview with The Advocate, Jasleen said about the incident, quote, No one wanted to help us because everyone had already heard that we were trans, and to them it was like we were no longer human, unquote. To make matters worse, it was documented that several officers of the Los Angeles Police Department were driving in their squad car and slowed down to take a look at the incident but did not stop. While the chief of the Los Angeles Police Department later reported that that car was on its way to an emergency call, there was a significant question as to whether law enforcement could have intervened sooner and prevented some of this violence. These are but unfortunately just two examples in a growing epidemic of violence. From January 2020 to July 2020, there were more murders of transgender people in the U.S. than there were in the entirety of 2019. And trans women of color were again particularly vulnerable and faced the highest rates of violence. In the National Center for Transgender Equality's U.S. Transgender Survey, one in ten Black transgender respondents reported being physically attacked in the last year alone, simply as a result of their gender identity or expression. The rate was almost exactly the same for Latino respondents in this survey. Unfortunately, the experiences of encountering violence were even worse among Black transgender women in particular. 
14% of black trans women who responded to this survey reported encountering violence or being the victim of violence related to their gender identity in the year prior to the survey. That's nearly a 15% chance in the course of one year of facing a violent attack as a result of your gender identity. That is something that we just absolutely cannot stand for. And think of it this way, if any given individual is experiencing maybe a 10 to 15% chance of being attacked violently in one year, imagine this over several years and imagine within a community what this does to a sense of safety and well-being. And imagine that if you haven't even been attacked recently, you probably have other friends, family members, people you're close to who have faced violence and have even faced violence repeatedly. This is borne out also in the research. Some absolutely shocking figures. If we look at the report entitled Transvisible Transgender Latina Immigrants in U.S. Society, prepared by the Trans-Latina Coalition, 70 out of 100 respondents had met a trans-Latino who was murdered for being trans. I was absolutely astounded to read that, that of those surveyed, 70 out of 100 people had known someone who was murdered as a result of their gender identity. That is shocking. And to put that in context, I looked for other studies that tried to assess in general how many Americans know someone who was murdered. And I found estimates ranging from between 15 and 40%, depending on the study. So that is a significant and appreciable difference, indicative of just how high the risks are and how great the risks are that trans women of color face simply for being themselves. The Translatina report goes on to state that 61 out of 100 respondents reported being victims of sexual abuse and 78%, 78% experienced random acts of violence. The enormity and the gravity of this problem truly cannot be overstated. But what can be done about all of this? I would say that if you are in a position that allows you to do so, contributing time, energy, and money to organizations that have several different purposes will hopefully move us in a direction where we can address the root causes of violence against the transgender community and then also provide support for those trans individuals who are experiencing violence at disproportionate rates, namely, once again, trans women of color. I think it makes sense to categorize the organizations seeking to eliminate violence against the transgender community into two different groups. First, I would say we have organizations that are maybe more national in scope, broader in their focus, that seek to address the root causes and enablers of violence against the transgender community. Organizations like this would include the National Center for Transgender Equality, and one of their focuses is looking at structural issues with law enforcement and how institutional policies within law enforcement agencies can be improved to build trust between the transgender community and law enforcement as it is widely recognized that crimes against transgender individuals go underreported and underprosecuted as a result of mistrust between transgender individuals and the law enforcement community for very understandable reasons. So this kind of advocacy, which is often backed up by extensive research and policy analysis, can be very constructive in moving things forward. 
And for those fortunate enough to be able to do so, providing financial support to organizations like the NCTE can be very impactful in terms of enabling organizations like this to fulfill their missions. In addition to this type of broader national organization seeking to create change at the policy level, there are also so many community organizations around the United States and around the world that provide street-level services to transgender individuals who are particularly in need of those services. The Translatina Coalition that I mentioned is one such organization here in the Los Angeles area. They provide everything from food, housing support, to career placement services, clothing, anything that members of the transgender community, and again, particularly trans women of color within that community need in order to ideally not just survive, but thrive. And this is far from being the only organization like it, even within Southern California. You also have the Trans Wellness Center, which is uh, very prominent within Los Angeles. And then closer to where I am in the region, there's an organization called the Transgender Health and Wellness Center that provides services uh, that are very similar to what you would see from the Trans Wellness Center. In your community, it is almost certain that there is a organization like this, or there is an LGBTQ organization that's designed to provide this kind of support. And if at all possible, if you are able to do so, I encourage you to find ways of getting involved, contributing time, expertise, money, whatever is necessary in order to make a difference. The stakes are unfortunately so very high because people's lives are actually on the line. And that's how Sierra sees it. And finally, the miscellany. Yes! And that's it for this week, guys, where I talked about the case of Jennifer Laud, and I gave you my thoughts on the entire case. You heard Sierra talk about trans violence that you might not have heard of. And again, this is yet another topical episode, but I hope you guys found that interesting, because I did when I was researching this. Sorry yet another week without a Kirsten's Corner. I know, I know. I just haven't had time to record her, but I promise I'll have one up soon. But if you want to hear the special stuff that she's talked about, she's on our Patreon, and you can check that out by going to patreon.com slash crossyas. Stay tuned for the next Curious conversation with the gorgeous Filipina Maria, crossdresser from New York, and that first part will be up next Saturday, October 24th. So look forward to that. That's it for this week, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. And as always, keep it fresh, stay blessed, and remember, you're gorgeous! Again guys, I'm not here to diagnose or treat anything, I'm just here to share my story. Have others come on the podcast to share their story, to help you learn about the world of cross-dressing, sexuality, and gender a bit more.